Hello, this is Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist, host of the Richard Listens podcast. Thank you for joining me on this special series of episodes called Making the Jump, in which athletes discuss their transitions, their secrets, and we bring this to you as a way to help transitions in your own life. Whether you be an athlete or going through any kind of transition another way, these guests are fabulous and generous with their time and will absolutely help inspire you and give you tools to make that transition yourself. Today's guest is Nene Kamate, and she will be speaking to us on resilience, adversity, recovery, and transition. As an elite track athlete, she will discuss her upbringing in New York, her resilience, her perseverance, and how she competed on Division One level and beyond on the Olympic scale. She will discuss her transition through injury and beyond into being an entrepreneur. And no doubt you will enjoy hearing Nene speak with the same degree that I enjoyed interviewing her. Thank you so much. This is Richard, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Very good to see you. Likewise, likewise. I'm just so excited to to have this conversation with you all and share my story a bit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real gift and a real pleasure. Thank you for making the time. And we, we love what this is creating for athletes, Absolutely. for them to being able to hear, you know, athletes who spent a lot of their life focused and how they've transitioned out into the world. It gives them some hope and some ideas for, for ways to make this jump, as we call it. I couldn't have said it any better. You know, absolutely being an athlete in this phase right now, you know, it gives me a lot of pleasure to know that my story could help someone else as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey as an athlete? Um, and even if you want to extend it to now, that's great. Whatever you feel comfortable doing. So um, my journey started a while ago. I had a career that spanned over 20 years, um, which oh. is really <laughs> crazy to think about. But um, I have my parents to thank for that, um, for sure. They uh, were huge proponents for education, but um, also extracurricular activities and in particular sports for, you know, the different values and life lessons that that you face from a very young age. So I actually picked up a racket when I was three years old, being that that was my dad's favorite sport. So we all played tennis at some point in our lives. And How many siblings do you have? Five. So I'm the eldest of six. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's a team. Yes, it's a team in itself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think we're going to do a side research study here on, on how many successful athletes come from families where they were pushed to yeah. compete within the family system. I mean, in in our house alone, we were very competitive and we still are <laughs> with each other. But it really started back then. And, um, you know, I remember going to the USTA in Flushing, Queens, where they host the U.S. Open every year. And I really enjoyed, you know, meeting up with my friends there and, of course, just, you know, hitting the balls and all. I got introduced to the sport of track and field when I was seven from a neighbor. And we'd race up and down the streets like all day. So I was accustomed to running and I got to join I, I got to participate in the track meet with her um, one weekend and I came home with the ribbon and I was like hey <laughs> I can get used to this you know because at the time um, grassroots tennis wasn't as organized as it is now so they didn't really have youth competitions but track did and I really loved the ribbons and the medals that I came home with. So you were in Queens? Yes, in Queens. Yeah. Oh, so, I'm from New yeah. York as well. It's awesome. Yeah. So at the tender age of nine is when I made the executive decision to uh, switch careers. Yeah, you're, you're an experienced transition <laughs> oh, expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it seemed to be so much more simpler back then, no? Yeah, so that's where it started. And, you know, so I would, you know, go to school in the daytime and then have practice in the evenings, um, year in, year out, you know, traveled all over the country in the summers. And um, just the fact that I got to expose myself to, you know, different people and different backgrounds, ways of life, you know, once again, back to my parents' points for putting us in sports was just learning how to win, learning how to lose, how to cope with that, how to co cope with um, disappointments, you know, how to be a team player. I had that in the house, but then outside of the house as well. I think it just, you know, it, it's been quite a journey, but I, I wouldn't have changed it, you know. <laughs> if, I, I just wouldn't have changed it. It was, it was really great. And so I did it all through high school, had a great high school career, and then moved on to college and uh, attended University of Florida to start off with. Oh, go Gators! <laughs> Well, I do have to say that though the Gators have a very special place in my heart, I did graduate a cane. So oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, but that's interesting. Yeah, I, I know this is off book, but I mean the humidity of running in New York is significant, and then at least northern Florida, maybe southern Florida too. It's a similar climate. I wonder at all if that prepared you at all, or if that was an adjustment. It was, I don't know that I ever got acclimated to it, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, it was tough. That humidity was really, really rough to contend with, but, it, you know, to deal with it. And and I, I survived, you know, I'm here today. Um, but I will say that I did a fifth year at Georgetown University and the climate there was, I was much better suited for, you know, that climate, I think. It's like, like running with five pounds less on your back, right? <laughs> yeah. What was the, um, you were a hurdler. Would you, would you say okay and um you did the 100 meter yes. right okay and did you do any other track and field other than that i just don't know the yeah okay yeah. what else well, did you do i just i did um so when i first started i actually started off as a distance runner so i was doing 800 miles and up um and then as the years went on i kind of came down in distance and ultimately discovered the hurdles which i absolutely loved so in college i primarily did the 100 hurdles but i also did participate in a 200 meter dash and i was a member on both relays so the four by one and the four by four as well so kind of ran you know the entire gamut but primarily as to the hurdle yeah okay. now did you attempt to get on the olympian team yes i uh, did or, or two <laughs> Did, did. So, tell us about that how that was sure 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 i mean that was a lifelong dream from the time i was i think it was nine years old when the 96 olympics occurred here in um atlanta i remember seeing michael johnson you know break the world record in the 200 meter dash and the gold spike that was like the most amazing sighting i'd ever seen and i said i will have gold spikes one day and i actually did in high school i had gold spikes I saw that and I said, that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm going to do. Like I will run in the Olympics one day, somehow, some way. And that was my mission. That was pretty much my life mission. After I graduated college, uh, well, undergrad, it was a 2012 Olympics. Unfortunately, I wasn't going to be able to participate in that due to injuries and all. So I made it my resolve to, you know, go for the 2016 Olympics. And that's how I ended up down here in Atlanta. Um, I decided to train with the group here. Oh, I fought for it wasn't a thing that I didn't do to you know make that dream a reality
reality. I remember getting down to the wire that summer when I was running in Europe on a circuit and just like chasing any track meet, like wherever they were going to have a finish line and, you know, a timing machine. I was suited up and ready to go. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is I missed out on the Olympic qualifying mark by, you know, mere, <laughs> mere tenths of seconds. And, um, you know, and that game just didn't happen, unfortunately. But I attempted it and I tried to live my dream the best that I could. Yeah. What's that like, right? To be so young and have given so much to a goal that's so hard to attain and know you gave 100 yeah. percent and yet there's still disappointment there, right? Like, because we have to be all in to achieve great things. You know, I think I'm in a much better place about it, of course, now. It wasn't a journey to get to where I am now because just as you said, it was a lifelong journey. It was the mission. Um, I was 100% committed to that. You know, we're always taught that, you know, as long as you work hard and you put your all into it, like, you know, your dreams can come true. And my dream didn't come true. So what do you do when and it doesn't, right? I had to take a step back and really think about the journey, all that I had accomplished to that point and realize that there were so many people that stopped short of that, that I had, you know, fortunately been able to pay for my education through, through this endeavor. I'd met so many people, like, you know, some of my best friends ever. I mean, I literally have a friend in like every corner of the world. It makes it easy for lodging when I go travel. But, um, <laughs> That's a lot of saved hotel bills coming up. <laughs> I just had to remember that it was all worth it. And I learned a lot through that, through, through, through the struggles and that I can still hold my head up because I actually went for it. You know, how many dreams die before they even get started because we take ourselves out of the competition and I suited up, I, you know, laced up my spikes and I stood on the line and I went after it. So I'm, I'm happy that I can, I can add that to my memoir, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. And how much of life, like the, the work that, that you carry forward now into the world and showing people just to, like you said, you know, even the fact I was willing to set a goal high, I was willing to step out there. I was willing to commit. So many of my clients are busy taking themselves out. Either, you know, if they are playing a game, the minute that adversity hits, the minute they fall behind, the minute that there's, you know, some adversity or they start to lose or their team starts to lose. Like there's so many points that we have choices, both as athletes and as, you know, entrepreneurs and people who transition into business. And, you know, what does it take to keep putting those toes on the line? Uh, you know, and, and what did it take for you to transition that into something else? Sure. Well, it certainly took a lot of reflections and you know the values that i hold dear to me and one of them is right and uh resilient because you know on the track and of course during school and all those things like i had many moments where i i did get knocked down <laughs> and the choice was do i want to get back and fight again or do i want to stay down and i just chose to continue to get up and continue fighting like when you think about rocky right when he fought apollo creed in that <laughs> last round and he just refused and i think that's one thing that sports just is you very well i mean i was a hurdler i've fallen a lot i still have the battle wounds like mm -hmm. all over my body and so sort of taking that spirit taking the fact that you know 
know, I am a very confident person and I do believe that there's more in store for me and there's more that I can offer to the world. I don't want that light to be dimmed and I just got to get back out there. And thankfully, I have an amazing support network. Still many coaches that are in my corner, um, you know, my friends, my family, you know, they've always been very supportive um, to my dreams and just as committed <laughs> to my dreams. Knowing that I have this team behind me, uh, continue to propel me forward. You know, I don't want to let myself down and I surely don't want to, you know, leave these people to think that. Yeah, I mean, you're making so many key points. I mean, the point is like as an athlete, how can you not be disappointed when you've committed when you're nine years old and now you've set over a decade like you know so many athletes are retiring young but they've they've been you know focused on their craft already for a career's worth like you said like you know like i've already given 15 20 years we have athletes that are retiring you know even from the nfl after 17 year careers they're 37 right so the first thing you know that you said right leaning on support system and like you're allowed to have your disappointment but leaning back on that support that that there are people in your corner and they believe in you not just you as the athlete they believe in all those characteristics and values which you identified. Uh, the second thing, which I'm smiling, not not because of your struggle or falling down, but because when you mentioned there's a clip, I hope I'll get it for our listeners, uh, from Apollo Creed talking to his team about taking the rematch with Rocky. I think it has to do with they're like, well, why do you want to take him? He almost beat us. You know, it had to do with the fact that he believes he can win. The fact that that he had lost but still believed he was better, like that was enough uh, to cause insecurity in Apollo Creed. So, uh, right, like just the fact that you keep getting up and keep coming back, uh, you know, like what character does that you know, what does that show to yourself about being able to take those same skills and taking it to whatever platform you face next? In a sense, like you said, I've, I've lived a career, essentially, but there's still a lot of life to live. So I can't stop now, right? Just there's, there's just a lot to give. And I think with my story, I think it's really important. I think it's actually a story because so often we do hear of the glory, right? We hear about this, the, the stories where the person struggled and, you know, they almost gave up, but they kept fighting. And then, you know, everything turned into gold after which is great, you know, which is absolutely great. In this particular case for me, that didn't happen. So what do you do when your dream does happen? You know, how do you channel all that you built up into something else? Like how do you find your other passions or purpose and missions in life? And that's exactly where I am now. And, you know, thankfully I have Lorenda now in my life and we've been doing a lot of that work. And um, I think that was something that I did struggle with. Am I outside of track, outside of being, you know, a, a woman athlete, outside of being a, an Olympic hopeful, like who am I? Like what else do I enjoy? Like what else brings joy? to my life and what can I world and you know thankfully we've been able to kind of <laughs> get through all the haze and I do feel really really optimistic about what is to come and I mean I'm just really excited <laughs> you know for the for the future and you know I'm not perhaps gonna lace my sneakers back up but you know I I'm ready to <laughs> get back on the line and and compete some more we definitely want to hear about the reinvention so that's <laughs> next but I it was a question that I had uh, 
for you, which is, you know, don't have that many female athletes on the show. And um, I really would love to hear your perspective of what it was like to be a female athlete. Sure, sure. Well, for one, actually, I do have a story from when I was at University of Florida. I was taking an English course my freshman year, and we were talking about names and nomenclature and how that ties to identity. And my professor asked me, what was it like to be called a lady gator as opposed to a gator? And I think the phrasing of that question, you know, presupposes that I should have, that, that there's something less than, you know, being called a lady gator that, you know, there's something I should feel bad about. And, you know, I told him actually on the contrary, I am a woman, I am, and I'm very proud of that. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's who I am, you know, that's a part of my identity. So there's nothing, you know, to feel like it's taking away from the athletic part of me you know yeah i as you can see i have some makeup on and i competed in my makeup i i loved it and you know i think it just Sports, especially for young girls, is immensely important. And I think because of it, I learned how to be confident and to have self-esteem and, you know, built up that resilience and was willing to be a little more outspoken and, you know, assertive, if you will, because I'm down in the trenches just as like any other athlete, you know, male athlete is. And so I think it's really important that our female athletes are out there to, you know, serve role models, share their stories, um, because it is a unique story. You know, we bring a different dynamic to the field and that, that should be celebrated just well. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a big part of that. <laughs> Did you feel any of that at the uh, high school or Division One level? Like, I know Florida has the big football program. I mean, was there this feeling of like, oh, you know, like we're in the we're in the shadow? I mean, you know, <laughs> like or, or like, did you did you have any of that like experience well, um, in of terms course. of how you were valued as an athlete? Um, I would say, I mean, of course, down there, football is king, right? And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think we, it, that's a whole nother world from New York. I had no idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Football is king and all, but I think, no, I think there was certainly a respect for the female athletes and for what we were doing out there and what we accomplished and what we brought to the table. So, you know, I personally didn't feel, you know, like disregarded or as if I was in the shadow, you know, per se, but I mean, football was king and that was just, you know, that, but it, it was great to be celebrated alongside those guys and, um, and they certainly would go to bat for us too, you know, if necessary. So we had a very tight knit athletic community, you know, crossing all the sports at Florida. I felt the same at the University of Miami and I'd, I'd say even at, at Georgetown. I think it's just, you know, sharing that, sharing the fact that we're all athletes and we're all getting up at, you know, five in the morning to get to weights and then we have, you know, full load of class and, you know, study hall and just all of the activities that we have to participate in to, you know, live up to our name of student athlete or scholar athlete. Um, we, we just kind of bonded around that, you know, much more than be concerned with, you know, other optics, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about too, not just the support of your colleague as athletes, but then I was also thinking about the 
perhaps the mentorship that you had and or, you know, I know you were very close to your family. Could you talk just a little bit about who was mentoring you at this time or did you find mentors? Did they find you? What was that process like? Um, You know, thankfully my coach, I've had really great coaches in my life. For sure, my first coach, George Taylor, you know, I consider him like a second father and we're, you know, extremely close. He was there, you know, along the way. One of my coaches, Dr. James Phipps, he, he was actually my hurdles coach in high school and like I kept a lot of his little notes that he would write me with like the stick figures I took that with me to college and even used it as a professional athlete because he was just very methodical about you know his approach to coaching if you'd like to listen more please click on the link for making the jump located in the show notes so you can get access to all of the shows and their complete recordings this is Richard listens and I'm out